on this episode of China Unscripted, Hong Kongers protest the CCP by celebrating the Queen, China reinvents colonialism, and Chinese police coming to a city near you. Welcome to China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Chan. And I'm Matt Kinesta. And even though this happened a week ago on September 8th, uh, basically as we finished recording the last podcast, we heard the news that the Queen died. So this is this is our first podcast since then. And in memory of the Queen, I am having a cup of Yorkshire gold black tea. Long live the Queen, King. I, I don't know what's appropriate to say. Mm. Perhaps nothing since we're Americans. That's good. That's true. Um, but you know, the whole world is united in mourning the queen, right? Oh, well, maybe I feel Except like in China. Ireland. I feel we went like in, two different directions here. Yes. Yes. I was saying something and then got interrupted. How does that feel, Chris? I, I now understand you, Shelley. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I definitely think in China they're not uh, too happy that uh, some people in Hong Kong have been commemorating the Queen. Yeah, I mean, people in Hong Kong have stood in line, you know, for many, many hours to go write their condolences at the British consulate. Which really shows the difference between... Hong Kong and mainland China. Not so much the honoring the queen thing, but the being able to stand in a line. Oh. Oh. <laughs> if you aren't aware, there's sort of this uh, uh, stereotype that uh, they're, they're not great at lining up. I I don't... Not really a stereotype. Is it a stereotype if it's it, true? It's certainly uh, my experience in mainland China, but, you know... I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, even Xi Jinping a few years ago came out and was like, Chinese people need to be more civilized when traveling overseas. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know if he mentioned standing in line as a specific thing, but he made a joke about how people shouldn't just eat ramen in their hotel rooms. They should go out and experience like local cuisine and things like that. This is all kind of stereotypes about Chinese tourists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely the way, well, in, in Hong Kong, it's not just that people are honoring the queen. It's also kind of become like a, a form of protest. Yeah, because they're not allowed to protest anymore, really. No. So there's a CNN article where somebody who was interviewed was like, it's nice to participate in a in a mass demonstration again. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because it was, how many, do you know how many people came out? It was a lot. Like thousands. Yeah. yeah. But uh, of course not as, we're not talking like hundreds of thousands or millions or anything, but still it's kind of significant given that Hong Kong was a British colony and not everybody was happy about British rule when the British were ruling Hong Kong, mm -hmm. but now in retrospect. It's, it's so much better. And that, that is kind of crazy. Like, you know, Especially, you know, in America, we hear about, you know, colonialism, blah, 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 blah. And like under colonial rule. I mean, colonial rule wasn't always good in no, Hong Kong. No, no. But <laughs> like it's still like there's a nostalgia there for it in comparison to what they're facing today with the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. And I think there's even a nostalgia from people who are so young, they probably didn't actually live under 
didn't have to go through any of the the, the bad times. No, not just that, but just like they were born after 1997. Yeah. So they actually never experienced uh, the colonial rule. But given what the, is going on with Hong Kong right now, there is that feeling that like things were better back then. Like some Hong Kong actor actually had to come out and apologize for uh, saying some nice things about the queen and how Hong Kong flourished under the queen's rule. And then he came out with a video on, on Weibo or something where he apologized for saying that of and course. said like, you know, long live the motherland kind of stuff. Well, which, which Chinese official was like, clearly there needs to be more work at decolonization in Hong Kong. Oh, that was, um, I think that was Takong Paul. That was like the, Oh yeah. The, 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 the Hong Kong Pro-Bajian newspaper. newspaper. Yeah. That's it's a CCP newspaper. Yeah. But yeah, so there's there's a lot of kind of tension over that, and I'm not surprised that this is being seen as a subtle kind of protest. Yeah. And we were joking about how maybe Queen Elizabeth has managed to now violate the national security law. <laughs> well, since the CCP is regulating reincarnation, maybe they can still... Get her? Get her. I mean, it, I don't know that they... I guess it depends on your definition of the universe, right? Because doesn't the national security... <laughs> wow, we're getting deep. <laughs> the national security law has some clause that it's like it's not confined by, uh, you know, extraterritoriality. Yeah, it can apply to anyone in the world, but really there's no nothing that says it's limited to just this world. Yeah, like... I mean, you, they would be stupid to do that. if you're in the, in the spirit realm, right? Well, or right. on the moon. You know, they got to think ahead. Yeah. When China conquers the moon, people who violate Hong Kong's national security law on the moon need to be arrested. Or Mars, any form of hyperspace travel. I mean, I, yeah, this is, I think what's, it's so sad seeing what's happening in Hong Kong because we haven't really seen this in our lifetime, like a free place being directly taken over by a communist government. Hmm. Because I feel like when, you know, after the fall of the Soviet Union or right around that time, you kept seeing the opposite, right? Where, like, co- former communist countries are now uh, becoming democratic and things like that. But this is the reversal. And I, we haven't really seen this since maybe the end of World War II when, you know, the Soviet Union and... Places were falling to communism. Yeah, they basically split up Europe and were like, okay, here's yeah. here's your circle of influence. On top of whatever's going on in Ukraine, like however that will end. I mean, there were countries in Africa that were becoming communist in the 60s and whatnot. Of course, that was also still not in our lifetimes. But there was a, there was a global push uh, in that era for communism, right? A lot of countries wanted to try it. And there's, there's these kind of revolutions and they were largely backed by the Soviet Union. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no, there aren't really countries now that are actively trying to be communists that aren't like on a big scale. I'm not saying Hong Kong is an exception either because they didn't try, they just had it forced on them. And I think this is sad because, I mean, obviously true communism has never been tried, so we got to keep trying. But the I feel like the most ironic thing about, like, you know, the, the, oh, Hong Kong needs to work on decolonization is recently the CCP has done this whole propaganda push of saying, oh, Hong Kong actually never was a British colony. Yeah, what did they say it was instead? It was under British rule, but not a colony. 
I mean, they actually tried to pull that way back in the 70s, right? In the UN, where they tried to be like, oh, well, oh, they yeah. removed Hong Kong and Macau from the list of colonies while decolonization was happening. Yeah, yeah. It was, so there'd be like a, a framework for just giving it back to China instead of what was happening to all other colonies, which was they were getting independence. Yeah, it's like self-determination. Yeah. All the other British colonies. But like if Hong Kong is not in that list, then they don't get any kind of self-determination. Yeah. I, I, what China did, they actually had Hong Kong and Macau removed from the list, but it wasn't like the UN was voting specifically on what's in the list and what's not. So it's like the PRC got those places removed and then there was the vote on the whole list. And so it's kind of like they snuck their thing into, they, they snuck their changes into a larger rule or a larger thing that needed to be passed. Mm -hmm. And so like kind of, you got a lot of things going on and you don't notice it. It's like, it's like putting, um, you know, a provision into, you know, a 500 page budget bill that, you know, is like, you know, it's, it's illegal to walk your cat on Sundays. Like you just like put something random in and then people vote on the whole thing because the whole thing is way more important than individual provisions. And that's how you get your thing passed. So the PRC was very clever about that. And then it didn't even become an issue until much later. Like they, they played the long game with this because that was 72 or something. And then it wasn't until the mid eighties that there was even the real conversation about what happens to Hong Kong after 97. If only Holland Oates had been in the UN. Explain. Oh, well, because then your kiss would be on my list. Your kiss, your kiss, it's on my list. Is Hong Kong your kiss in this analogy? No, I just kisses. Kisses belong on lists. Uh, wow, that, this sounds like one of those nonsensical things that I would say. Oh, no, because it's a very uh, cultured reference to one of the great, greatest groups of all time. The, the group that I, for, for a long time, thought was called Holland Oats, like they're Dutch oats. Oh, not like they are hauling oats. Oh, no, That's no, I, I, thought. I thought I thought it was was Dutch oats, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I actually only learned the truth like about two years ago. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, well, I'm sure somebody listening today has is, has discovered this now for the first time. That it's haul and, and oats, oats the, and the because of the, the people's. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like when you only hear it on the radio, like you don't know. And it's like, you know, na nowadays, like one of the, one of the, the horrible things about the, the internet now is that you can get lyrics to any song. Because Why is I, that a horrible thing? Because back in the day, like, you know, you'd listen to Nirvana or something, you have no idea what they're talking about. And everyone would have their own versions of what they thought the lyrics were. It's really a post-truth, post-modernistic kind right. of way of looking at lyrics. Right. And, and now like, there's no more guesswork involved, which, which it's just, it's not as fun anymore. So you don't really, like, you don't have the misheard lyrics thing, like, sweet dreams are made of cheese. Nobody actually thought it was yeah. made of cheese, right? Revved up like a douche, and then I wrote that her in one the night. I, well, that one I could kind of see. Yeah. yeah. Because nobody knows what a deuce is, yeah. related to cars, at least, anymore. So, or What about Jimi Hendrix, uh, excuse me while I kiss this guy? I mean, I could see that, too. It was the 60s. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, okay, let's not get uh, You're right, I copyright 
ding. Uh, oh, no, I, I didn't hit any of the copyrighted notes. Um, I, just because you sang it badly doesn't mean it was an infringement of the original well, music. Well, speaking of being incredibly crazy. loud, uh, Matt, I, th I thought there was a very interesting conversation before the podcast about your shirt as it pertains to the queen since we were going to kind of commemorate that a little bit. Oh, well, Shelly was criticizing me for the shirt. I didn't say that. I feel like... You, well, yeah, you did not say, I am criticizing you for your shirt, but... Uh, what did you say, Shelly? I said, oh, well, first, it was that Chris remarked on your shirt, mm -hmm. uh, and then I just said something about how I dressed more soberly since we were going to talk about the death of the queen. And I dressed in a fun way to celebrate the new king. And I felt that was very character revealing between these two. So I wanted you to share in that. I think you now have a better understanding of who Matt and Shelley are as people. That Matt likes King Charles? No, it's just that my glass is half full. I don't think it's half empty to... Okay, whatever. My cup is half full of delicious Yorkshire gold tea. Black I... tea, the tea of... The horrible barbarians. Yeah. It's just, the tea the of colonialism? It's, it's, it's not as good as like real Chinese tea. I'm sorry. It's like you've ruined it. <laughs> All those tea plantations in India, not good enough for you, Chris? No, no. <laughs> they like didn't get the right, like Assam isn't real tea. It's not the the real tea plant. Wow. You're going to offend a lot of people. It's not the, it's not the same species. It's not the tea plant. We should have another channel that's like tea undrunk. Oh, that'd be such a tragic channel. <laughs> tea undrunk. Or what 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 us what else could it be? Tea unpicked? Unappreciated. <laughs> I appreciate the tea. Um Do you know what Hong Kongers call Queen Elizabeth, which I really love? Boss lady. Boss lady. Nice. Like the what you would call like a a like a female like restaurant owner or like small business owner or really? something like boss lady yeah i i've just been so uh polluted by the metal gear solid series i hear boss lady and i think of that oh because there like, was a character called boss and big boss and there was there was a character called boss who was a lady oh there you go not that kind of boss not the gamers unbeaten kind of boss nope hey is that a soft launch for that show i think We've already... Have we mentioned it? I don't think we've mentioned it. Mentioned what, Chris? Gamers Unbeaten, uh, our wonderful brand new channel that uh, many of you thought was a joke. <laughs> it is not a joke. It's very real. I think we mentioned it a couple of times on China Uncensored. It, like, it was a joke. Like, uh -huh. we were going to start a gaming channel because the world was terrible. Truth becomes fiction when truth is not real. I forget how that quote goes. <laughs> Redream of Red Chambers, it's the first line. You can stop after that. It doesn't really get better. <laughs> uh, yes, I remember your debate with Anastasia Lynn about Dream of the Red Chambers. Oh, yeah, she loved that. Yeah, it's her favorite book. It's, it's so popular with a lot of people in China. I can only assume it, it is just something is lost in translation. Yeah, I read the translated one, and I had such a hard time following it. I mean, it's like the 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 best translation of it in English. It's it's basically divided into five very long books, and I kid you not, in one of those books, the only thing that happens is they start a poetry club. I mean, that sounds like a big deal. It's like this thick that book, 
they start a poetry club, period. I just saved you a lot of time. Yeah, I guess when my parents were telling me about Dream of the Red Chamber, they were like, oh, culturally, I don't think that Westerners would like it because the heroine, they, she, like my parents thought basically that people in the West, because they're more open, optimistic nature, would like the other girl, the one that, oh, the gosh, other cousin... Man. The, the one that the main guy ends up marrying accidentally, <laughs> uh, who is like kind of like a more cheerful person versus the, the, the actual like main character who, like Who's the like Juliet. Always sick of Romeo and like, <laughs> yes, she's very that. sad all the time and she's kind of like an invalid and she's always writing like. Like sad poetry. But the reality is she is actually the reincarnation of a flower fairy that uh, had a debt of tears to pay back to the main character who's actually a, a magical stone. Is it jade? Uh, or just a stone? I think he's a stone. Okay, but I'm then there's a thing about jade because he's because, like, like, there's like born a jade. with jade. Yeah, there's a jade thing that like shows his... You can look into yeah. it and see his... Something like that. Something like that. I've not read Dream of the Red Chambers. Yeah. So what happens in another magical dimension that is still under Hong Kong national security law, <laughs> uh, this magic stone like is sitting in some kind of like fairyland and like dew collects on the stone and drips onto this flower and then the flower becomes sentient and is like, oh, well, I'd, to thank you, I got to repay you with a debt of tears in the human world. So then they have to go through, they get reincarnated as humans and have this horrible life. Awesome. Didn't the stone want to experience the human world or something? Is that he part of it? Have, I don't. Which is just always a bad idea. Just, like as a human, I can say this is like. To stay as a stone in threes, a heavenly paradise. Maybe <laughs> like two, two stars out of 10, the human experience. <laughs> There are some nice bits, um, love, video <laughs> games. Watching our podcast. Oh. That's got to be at least another Let me bump star. it up to three. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> we are making your lives better by we educating you about China, which we have kind of gone off on a tangent about. Well, I mean, this is just preparation for our next series, Books on Red. <laughs> now, I didn't read this book, but let me tell you what I think. Actually, that's like most of what the internet is these days. People <laughs> having true. very strong opinions about things they know nothing about. Let Just me tell you what it's about based on the cover. Yes, based on <laughs> books uncovered, like judging a book by its cover. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that would actually be kind of a fun channel. It starts as a joke and then we do it. Let's not. I don't think that is... As wise of a business decision. Yeah, there is, I do like that idea though. <laughs> Just taking a book, looking at. I don't think I don't think people will watch us for just book reviews. Well, these are not book reviews, Matt. They're uninformed. <laughs> there are uninformed opinions. Opinions uninformed. Well, it's kind of like the deep thoughts while gaming thing, right? Where you take a game and then you just like go way off into left field. Yeah, the yeah. one coming out today is about Fall Guys. It's a game where you like, it's like a battle royale with these little uh, cute character sprites who are apparently, according to lore, like actually six feet tall, which makes them horrifying. But it's a deep look at uh, Taoism. Mm. Wow. Check it out, Gamers Unbeaten. It's like Yakuza 
was a deep look at quiet quitting. That's right. And That's right. what the Ubermensch. Yeah, it's a lot about Nietzsche. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we're really selling this channel. I think I, I, I think a lot of people would love to watch it. I'm sold. And you can trust me, I drink Yorkshire gold. I'm just waiting for you to do one where we somehow work in like Dream of the Red Chambers now. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. So anyways, how are we going to divide this up in clips? <laughs> Matt, Shelley, one, and Chris just like... One section where we just talk about Dream of the Red Chamber the for no reason. That's right. But hey, it, that's educating people about China. It's one of the four classics. We um, just talked about how you hate it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a replacement for what was kind of the fourth classic before, which is the very pornographic. Oh, was the vase yeah, one? Yeah, plum flower and golden vase I mean, or Dream something. of the Red Chamber is a little bit pornographic as well. A the little bit, rain, but if, you read, clouds if you read the other one, oh, it's a little I, I have not. It's, uh, okay. Which was actually taking a subplot of another one of the Chinese classics, uh, Outlaws of the March, and making a whole story about that. Wait, so the, sorry, the plum blossom in the Whatever vase thing is a fan fiction of Outlaws wow. of the March? I didn't think of it that way, but yes. Well, you love fan fiction, right, Chris? I do, especially it's, erotic fan fiction. I say it's erotic fan fiction of Outlaws of the March. And this crappy book about poetry replaced that? Come on. It, Wow. Uh, isn't it kind of really about the fall of a like a, a household and the suffering of the human realm or something like that? That and like uh, just sort of a, a comment on contemporary Chinese society at the time of you know being was that, influenced by was foreigners that and destroyed. Or Ming? I think Ming. Okay. Uh, the foreigners wait, really no. came during the Qing though. It was, wasn't it written? Well, not true because like there's this whole thing about like Buddhism. Like Buddhism itself is a foreign religion that was not popular in, to a lot of people that's, in China. That's true, because it came from, from India, from the West. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, it's but Qing. like- the, Oh, it was Qing. Yeah. Well, Dream of Red Chamber is definitely Qing. Yeah. Because the Portuguese didn't even really get to Asia until like the late 1500s, right? Uh, something. So that was already pretty close to the end of Ming. Yeah. But so in like the, the, the one about the vase, like the, one of the main characters, his son becomes a Buddhist monk. And, you know, while there is this sort of like line about like, oh, he's, you know, leaving the human world, kind of moving past to a more spiritual life. A lot, the other side of that is like this guy's family's bloodline is done because he's now his son is now practicing a foreign religion and he's not going to honor his parents. He's not going to have children. It's destroyed. That family's destroyed. Yeah. There's a lot of sons becoming monks at the end of these books, huh? I guess so. What was it? What's it actually called? I can never remember its name. Uh, so Plum in the Golden Vase. Plum in the Golden... I mean, come on. How, how could... You know that's going to be a little I steamy. I mean, technically it is Golden Vase Plum. So uh. that's the jinping may. But yeah, I always forget the translation of it too because it's not exactly something encouraged to be read. You know, if you're a kid learning Chinese or something like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. Uh, well, actually, you know, I like this. We're, we're kind of educating people on some of the more cultural 
sides of Chinese history. I think what children should be learning nowadays is uh, Xi Jinping thought on socialism with Chinese characteristics for a new era. Well, you're in luck, Matt, because a huge portion of the human population is going to be learning that from a very young age. Right, and the, the next group is the children of Hong Kong. Well, yeah, that's yeah. true, because the Hong Kong Education Association has now passed around these pamphlets on Xi Jinping's latest speech in mm -hmm. Hong Kong, where he talks about all this kind of stuff. And teachers are being encouraged to read his speeches and study them. Yeah, yeah, very, like, yeah, definitely very communist. Yeah. And I just want to point out to the audience, you thought we went off the rails, but you see how it all connects back. There we, we go. We, we, we just fan little... Guizheng, return to our original true selves. <laughs> Which we're talking about Hong Kong? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is all meticulously planned out. Yeah. Didn't you say in the last podcast that you think about this for hours? Beforehand? Hours ahead. Mm -hmm. It's like a game of 4D chess. Or that game Data played on Star Trek that was like some kind of crazy. Yeah, never mind. Sorry. Yeah, I know. I mean, I don't think I've watched Star Trek The Next Generation since possibly the 90s. So. Yeah. Speaking of Star Trek, that's making me think of that new movie Nope by Jordan Peele. But that's a, that's a tangent that we don't need to go down. That is a tangent I cannot help you with because I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, the the cultural assimilation of Hong Kong is going ahead full steam. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how much resistance there really is going to be to it because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're going to require all of these things, but... How do you enforce it? Yeah, and well, I mean, you can enforce it on the surface level. Mm -hmm. And I think this is why they know that they have to, like the the problem, the CCP sees this like as a generational thing, right? Mm. Like the people who are in their 20s now are not going to love the motherland, but you can brainwash the five-year-olds. That's true. As, as Matt said earlier, they like to play the long game. Yeah, but uh, sometimes things happen more quickly than you'd expect. Like, you know, four years ago, I would say, Hong Kong's court system was generally regarded as independent and fair. Uh, and what's happened very, very quickly is all these people who have violated the national security law or, uh, or other laws that, that wouldn't really be violations under a free uh, system have now been jailed, uh, convicted. And it's like, so, so clearly the CCP has in essence, taken over the court system, you know, the justice system, let's call it, because it's like tied to the courts and the, and the district attorney and the police. And they've done it very, very quickly. Uh, so, you know, how do they do that? I mean, one way is that they, they put pressure on people who are independent-minded to leave or to retire early, and they promote people who uh, are pro-Beijing. And that transition happened so much faster than I would have expected. Uh, they started with the police because you remember when we were in Hong Kong in 2014, the police were generally very polite and well-behaved. By 2019, a lot of the police force was at least rumored to be uh, trained in mainland China uh, and maybe even brought in from mainland China. And it, and it felt like a totally different police force by the end of 2019. So like that system had been 
sort of infiltrated and replaced over the course of a few years. The court system has been uh, infiltrated and replaced. So it wouldn't be surprising if the education system were like, you know, teachers who think in a certain, you know, pro-freedom way are pressured to just leave to find new jobs. Uh, they're not promoted. They're not given opportunities. They can't get rehired. And other people are like, you can, you can sort of lean out uh, or corrupt in an individual system if you work hard enough. And you can do that in a matter of just a few years. It's happening with the media too in Hong Kong because uh, they've shut down a lot of the more- They shut down Apple Daily. They yeah, shut they, down... that one they actually shut down, but a lot of the more independent media have been forced to close themselves. Right, there's there's very few left. There are still a few, but there's but they're just a, what, like two or three probably. Yeah, Stan News closed the RTHK, like the public broadcaster that actually had a lot of kind of independent reporting on the protests and things like that. They, essentially there was like a, kind of a purge there right. so uh, easier to do because that was like partially government run right right um but yeah like what you're saying about the ju judicial uh system is interesting because um for all this talk of needing to decolonize hong kong the ccp is actually using uh, a hong kong colonial era law called the sedition law to imprison a lot of these activists because a lot of this uh, the stuff that people are being imprisoned for happened prior to the national security law, or maybe it doesn't technically actually violate the national security law, so they're being arrested for sedition, which they're using in a much... So they kind of... Nobody had been charged with sedition in Hong Kong since the 1960s. Right. And, and ironically, it was used to target communists. Yeah, people who were kind of pro-CCP... Uh, like they had pro-CCP riots in Hong Kong in the late 60s, essentially, kind of tied with the Cultural Revolution. So the some of the people who had done, who are the rioters had been like charged under the sedition law. And since then, no, uh, because Hong Kong moved more and more in the direction of free speech. Well, what a lot of people forget is that the Chinese Communist Party is essentially a colonial power. Uh, like if you consider what has happened in Tibet, Inner Mongolia, Xinjiang, like it's, and and actually, really in Africa. I mean, too. I think they basically a lot of Hong Kongers feel that the CCP is a colonial power. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, technically, what the CCP is doing in Africa is really different in the sense of they're not bringing in their own troops and taking over and doing management themselves the way that they're doing it in Tibet and Inner Mongolia and Xinjiang, and and Hong Kong. Like they're doing it in a, in a very different way of influence. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you over your shirt. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh that's actually that's actually pretty good. Um, so, so you know, how long have you been planning that one? A couple of years. <laughs> You're just waiting for Matt to buy. I, I bought the shirt in August. I know. I made sure the store had it. Oh, thank you, Chris. And so, when you were there, you would see it. And you buy. I've been studying, I've been using psychohistory to analyze your character and plot the course of history. Wow. Um, psychohistory, is that the thing? Harry from... Seldon Foundation. Oh, okay. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, uh, I'm not just talking crazy. So this is another, like, possibly, oh, but you've read Foundation, so that wouldn't be. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. 
highly recommend. Um, yeah. So one of the interesting things that the CCP is doing in these other countries that are not directly colonized is set up their like unique systems of control that haven't really been done before and that the European powers never did. So it's less clear what's going on because there isn't really a good name for it. It's like you call it influence, uh, but you can't really call it colonization because it doesn't fit what people think of with that word. You mean like actually taking over the government, that kind of thing? Right. And so, you no, know- I don't know, they basically kind of have, and anyway, it's like a lot of uh, African analysts, like people in Africa are calling it that. So I'm well, like, be I, like, like, I think they're calling it like a new kind of right neocolonialism. Yeah, yeah, and so like, you, well, because you need a new term to describe it, and you because you've got things like basically uh, China propping up a dictator or a sort of president for life type person. Meanwhile, uh, in you know installing surveillance and control mechanisms through technology. So you've got, for example. Uh, sort of smart cities uh, with, you know, Huawei technology. You've got smartphones that can be tracked with with Huawei technology. Data from these sur surveillance mechanisms given to the people in power. Um, and at the same time, China is extracting often resources like raw materials from these countries, like the way it gets cobalt from the DRC to, to use in batteries and whatnot. And a lot of times these mines are run by Chinese companies. So in that sense, it's a bit like colonialism, but because China's technically not controlling the government, they're just offering the government mechanisms of control that are you know, designed by China or Chinese companies. Like it, it feels different in that sense. I mean, but you also have the political control where then these countries have to support China on the greater political stage, right? Right, like the United Nations. Uh, so some people have compared this to um, like the tribute system that existed in, you know, pre-CCP China where like different uh, emperors would consider like say countries in Southeast Asia or East Asia to be like part of their tributary system where they would get some of the protection of being associated with the dynasty, but not like the, the emperor wouldn't directly rule over these other countries. Right. And I think there's some similarities. I would say what we're currently seeing is more predatory. <laughs> Compared to like having a massive army and being like, hey, you can pay us for protection. Well, I... There was that, right? I mean, you know, during during the Chinese dynasties. But at the same time, there was a lot of interest in Chinese culture, things adapted from Chinese culture in these tribute countries. This was largely before Dream of the Red Chambers came out. That was like when people were like, maybe this culture isn't like so hot. <laughs> in yeah. the 1700s. Yeah. No, that's when everyone was really flocking to China. Right. No, I, and I'm not saying that the tribute system was was great because you you know eliminated you basically reduced the independence of a lot of these Southeast Asian countries, right? Like to to be king of a you know Southeast Asian country, you had to get permission from the Chinese emperor essentially. So 
like, yeah, like you're, you're basically losing independence, but that's what we're seeing in, in Africa, for example, right? Out of 54 African countries, 49 of them are in debt to China in terms of loans. Uh, and almost every single one of them is under some significant amount of pressure to be tributary to some degree, whether it's resources or, or United Nations votes, you know, infrastructure, whatever it is, like they've got this. And, and now there's that, that report that you um, wanted to discuss, Shelley, from Safeguard Defenders. Yeah, although that's a little different because, um, so this report is called 110 Overseas, Shelly, I just need to make sure you only looked at the cover of this report. Oh, yeah. I didn't read it at all. Okay, good. I don't know what happens inside the report. This is um, what I want. But the report is called, you know, Chinese Transnational Policing Gone Wild. So <laughs> judging from that cover. Transnational I... Policing Gone Wild. So it's like the police officers are like on the beach lifting up their shirts. It's a Beijing bikini. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh. oh, that's a good one, Chris. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, now I'm having flashbacks to going back to China in, in, in the summers. Oh, the, the guys with like their, their wife beaters rolled up here and they're like squatting on the ground playing chess. Uh-huh. That's a, that's a classic And if China. by like those guys, you mean my grandpa, yes. Yes, I was specifically <laughs> talking about your grandpa. Yeah. Actually, I don't think he really, I don't think he usually did that, um, you know. Just gotta say, don't knock it till you try it. Hot summer day. Roll your shirt up. Roll your shirt up. It's, Under your armpits, you know, let it all hang it's out. It's a whole new level of comfort. Mm. It's one of the things that makes the human experience a three out of 10 stars. <laughs> <laughs> so so judging purely from the cover of this report, Shelley, what are some things that you might think would be quoted in the report? Uh, it's, you know, actually not a lot about Africa or poor countries. It's a lot about Europe. Oh, really? Yep. Well, let's talk about Europe. Well, it's actually about how the CCP is starting these overseas police service centers. So mm -hmm. uh, they're not technically legally police stations, but they're just like helpful service centers that, you know, overseas Chinese people can call if they need the Chinese police oh, to God. help so, them with so, anything. So Chinese police are like keeping close eye on Chinese people anywhere in the world, basically. Well, this is one of those things where the CCP uses like a legitimate problem. In this mm -hmm. case, telecom fraud and scammers. Whoa. <laughs> yes. I wasn't expecting you, you that. You weren't expecting it to go there. And because a lot of these, this telecom fraud is actually being done by um, Chinese people who are overseas in different places. Oh, like the scam where it's like, you have a package at the Chinese consulate. Right. Uh, or, I mean, a lot of these are scams that target the Chinese community too right. in different I, ways. I get the messages in, in Mandarin sometimes. As well. Yeah, yeah. And then people are freaked out because they don't know what it is. It's not usually the, the CCP spying on you. It is some scam to make people afraid that they have to go to the Chinese consulate for some reason unless they pay some money. Wow, and you got all this from not reading the report? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, no, I mean, that's just background about what telecom fraud is, oh, okay. right? Yeah. So um, the, the Chinese police are using telecom fraud as an excuse to establish these overseas service centers and um, voluntarily persuade people to go back to China. 
You see my eyebrow <laughs> raising, audience. It is, uh, it is actually quite diabolical in a certain way because they're they're able to, like I said, use something that's actually a problem and then be like, oh well, well we're helping people by doing this. Like we're establishing, we've um, started these to. We've gotten hundreds of thousands of these people to voluntarily return to China for uh, to be, you know, prosecuted and things like that. Uh, whereas, in a lot of these cases, the the safeguard defenders actually defenders actually found proof that some of the people were not actually doing any telecom fraud. They happen to just be living overseas in countries where there is a lot of telecom fraud, uh-huh. uh, and just being like forced to go back to China. The they're calling them persuade to return campaigns, but actually what that means is, you know, they either target your family in China and make them call you and tell you that you have to come back to China or else they're going to get arrested or they're not going to be allowed to go to school anymore or like all these different things. Or they directly get undercover agents abroad, <clears throat> like un like undercover police officers or um, MS, uh, M MSS. MSS agents to uh, come and persuade you to go back to China voluntarily. So who, who are these people that they are targeting since they're not telecom fraudsters? I mean, right now it appears that they are people who have committed some kind of crime either in China or overseas to other overseas Chinese people. Like this is why I say it's like they're using something that appears legitimate at first, but then other people get you know, kind of caught up in the dragnet where uh, they weren't actually doing anything wrong, but for some reason they get caught up in this and forced to return. But the other thing is that, like, once they set up this system, the that can be used for anything. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, you, it's interesting in that, like, so far they've only found two different provinces in China, two different areas in China that have set up these overseas uh, police stations. And there are already 54 of them, mostly in Europe. Two provinces set up 54. Between them. Wow. Um, and so where are some places where they're set up? Uh, like a majority of them are in Europe. Mm-hmm. Italy, Portugal, Austria, the Netherlands, the UK, Ireland. So countries most Greece. people haven't heard of. Yes. Hungary, Ukraine, the Czech Republic, Sweden. Um, there is one in New York, apparently. Really? Yeah. Can we go visit? Can we invite them to tea? I don't know. <laughs> invite them to tea. That's right. I, I don't know if that one's been uh so like Safeguard Defenders has been trying to find out where all these were. And so these are only the ones they've been able to find. And a lot mm -hmm. of them are um, associated with uh, these Chinese overseas home associations, like, you know, the Chinese Fujian Association or whatever, like from a specific area mm -hmm. in China. Those we've known for years are often United Front groups. Or human trafficking even. So they are, you know, supposed to be there to help, you know, overseas Chinese people you know, adapt to their local area or if they need help or services or something like that. But actually they're United Frontlink groups where they're there to promote CCP influence mm -hmm. in those countries. So it is interesting to me that like there's so many of these in 
Europe. So is this related at all to like Operation Skynet, the, you know, the kind of MSS? Kind of, or like Skynet and Fox Hunt. Yeah. In the sense that they use a lot of the same tactics, but Fox Hunt and Skynet were supposed to be targeting higher level people, Mm. like former CCP officials or, um, you know, ProPublica actually did a great article on Fox Hunt last year where they it, they used the story of this Wuhan police officer who had come to the U.S. on a tourist visa and was actually stalking this Chinese, um, former Chinese official living in New Jersey uh, and like tr- to kind of kidnap him and bring him back to China. So uh, those are targeting higher level people. This is targeting telecom Mm -hmm. fraud or whatever. So right now this is not, mm, doesn't have the resources that that program has, but it Mm -hmm. is very similar in what it does. And I think one of the things about this program that makes it a little bit even more concerning is uh, not only the connection to the United Front, but how this is basically giving um, putting pressure on overseas Chinese people to report on each other, oh, right? Really? Huh. To to I mean, like you can call the overseas police service center and be like, I have a problem with this person, like they stole from me, uh-huh. or whatever, and then they'll go. Like this is the kind of success story that they promote right now, where they're like, and then we, you know, f- found the, his former employee who stole from him, and you know, arrested him in China, or like we found somebody who had fled overseas and arrested them and sent them back to China. Um, this is all, by the way, they don't work with like local law enforcement or anything. This is all like- I'm surprised these, these countries are allowing essentially- I don't think they police. really know about it. Really? I mean, this is all stuff in Chinese and like it's, mm. uh, it is, I think, I think this would be essentially considered illegal in most of the places it's happening because you're- but you're just you're just you know, there's there's something strange in your neighborhood, and so who are you gonna call? The one ten overseas police service station. It's called one ten, by the way, because that's like the nine one one of China. I I kind of hate to say this, but I I, I was having the same thought Matt had about because <laughs> you said say, who are you gonna call? I think at one point. Oh, that's why. So so, but like it it's basically like they're setting up as we're here to help. And in a rule of law country, like most European countries, it's like you have community groups that offer help for all sorts of things, not just Chinese community groups. You have all sorts of them, right? And so it really legally would fall under the scope of that. Uh, I'm actually not sure because this is not like the neighborhood watch, right? It's not like local Chinese people in Italy coming up with this way for, you know, people to contact the police if they this is being set up by police departments inside China. Right. Well, I mean that's that's the the nefarious part is how it's like it's really the intention of it is very different. Right. But I can also see how it can easily slip through the Italian legal system, for example. This is new like, also. It's only been since January of this year I that see. these have been starting to be established overseas. And like, you know, one of the one of the um, cities in the report, which of course I, I haven't read, but but you had mentioned also not having read it, is the, the town of Prato in Italy, yeah. which 
Uh, of course, you did that report, Shelley, in 2019 about Prado and the, basically it's a manufacturing town in Italy that used to make, used to be a lot of like Italian made garments. Uh, and it's been gradually taken over by Chinese people who are now making garments, but they're doing it from imported fabrics from China and they're doing the final assembly in Chinese run sweatshops with Chinese workers in this Italian town. So they're still technically made in Italy, uh, but the whole town, right? I mean, you, you brought up the, they're the, they've got the Chinese shops, the Chinese casinos, oh, I the mean, Chinese you walk down the main ads street, for prostitutes. You could, and, be, you could be in mainland China. Like it is, uh, yes. And there's definitely human trafficking going on there. Right. So, so you've got like this whole essentially like Chinese, like a, 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 not just a Chinatown, it's like a, a China town in Italy. And that's one of the places where they set this up. So they've got a lot of people under this, I don't wanna say jurisdiction because that's not the right word, but that's maybe how they think of it. They do think of it that way because the way that they've set this up is actually very similar to how they view um, how it works in mainland China where uh, for example, if you're some kind of dissident or petitioner, like you go to Beijing uh, to try to protest or something like that, the people who are responsible for catching you are the police in your local town. Like so, they they're the ones who will get in trouble. Yeah, so they're responsible it for petition. it. So now, kind of, it's like they've almost exported the system where, like, the Fuzhou Police Department is responsible for these police service stations and all these pl different places where there are a lot of like people from Fuzhou. I mean, this is kind of like that neo It's kind of like neo-colonialism. Uh, I mean, they're, they're essentially like taking over parts of other countries. Oh, this is the whole thing about Chinese people are pandas, you know, no matter what they belong to the CCP. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it is. I find not so much what they're doing now very concerning as the system they're setting up very concerning because you can just see how this could be very easily abused. Well, again, going back to what Matt said earlier, they always have the long yeah. game in mind. What where, what do they want to build this into in well, 10, 20 years? I mean, well, now they're talking about having 10 different provinces take place in this pilot program. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you think there's only two places that are running these service centers now, and they already have 54 at least overseas that Safeguard Defenders was able to find. Uh, when you have 10 provinces doing this, like how many more will there be? Like, is this just like um, basically a let this plus Skynet and Fox Hunt are also being said to expand. Like that's in the official uh, documents say like they need to do more of this. So this is, you know, this is what the FBI calls transnational repression. This is the CCP exporting its um, policing to different countries. It's Xi Jinping's new era. We're just living in it. Mm -hmm. And right now it's only affecting Chinese people. But yeah, as the Chinese Communist Party becomes more and more powerful, if we let it, uh, that, could, that could be, have really terrifying repercussions. Yeah, and... Uh, the fact that people who are not actually committing crimes can get caught up in this is also. And it's also like, you know, this is not like the story everyone is talking about. 
which it's because it's kind of hard to explain. Like it's not as sexy as controversy over X movie or whatever. Actually, I have seen some more reporting about this because Chinese police station set up in your country does sound concerning. I hope so. Yeah. I I hope so. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, these aren't necessarily police stations with uniformed police or anything. Like often um, they're, they're like, they gave the example of like someone, one being run out of like an address that was actually a Chinese restaurant or, Mm. you know, so it's like, that's another thing where it kind of blurs the line between like, is this, you know, these Chinese home associations uh, or is it like a front for policing? Hmm. But the, it's not going to be a sign. You're not going to like go to the building and it's like, you know, 110 Chinese overseas police station. It'll be like kind of subtle. There'll be an office somewhere or some people in plain clothes. Oh, here's a photo of the public security overseas police service station in uh, Prato. Okay. Well, well, we'll put that on screen there. And it has a sign that says Fuzhou Police Overseas Service Station, Prado, Italy. So, yeah. Matt. So I'm completely wrong. But that's also a, looks like it's taken indoors. It is inside. So I don't know so, that there's a sign outside that well, says that. I mean, this is this is great because Matt, you didn't you didn't open up the report as we are not supposed to. Shelley actually cracked into the report. Yes, I'm looking at it right now. So there goes our the whole premise for our new show. But. Our other idea for a new show, Unmade in China, the whole Prato thing is, is, is a great story for that. Like how, you know, essentially China is able to sell what is really made in China junk by labeling it anything they want, made in Italy. Right. Well, I mean, it is technically made in Italy. It's, yeah. It is technically but made in Italy. It's made in Italy with the same problems those problems are the, the the problems that we try to avoid by not buying stuff made in China. So, you know, the the problems of uh, slave labor or or low wage dangerous labor, the problems that come along with that in terms of the, you know, the crime and the human trafficking and and that like those are being exported, right? So that's like that's why we don't want to buy it. It has nothing to do with China itself. Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, also, it, if you pump money into China or Chinese companies, it ends up benefiting the CCP. Well, that's true. I mean, directly because they collect taxes on it and indirectly because you're basically bolstering the economy. Also, sometimes directly because these are actually state-run companies. Yeah, yeah. Like how people found um, in the U.S., in Chinese stores in the U.S., uh, dates being sold that were actually um, from the Bingtuan, the Chinese, like the Xinjiang Construction Corps, like the paramilitary corps that's responsible for a lot of the um, forced labor. Oh, dear. And, <laughs> I uh, eat a lot of know, dates. Stuff in China. Yeah. I, I don't know that all the dates, all the Chinese dates in Chinese stores are, but um, this came up because there was a reporter for The Wire who which does a lot of China news, who was in the store and noticed that the dates were labeled Bingtuan in Chinese. Oh. And was like, how did that get here? Because it is illegal. illegal. Like, because the Bingtuan specifically was sanctioned by the U.S. government. Wow. During the Trump administration. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they had a similar problem in Canada where there were tomatoes coming from Xinjiang 
and the Bing Tuan. But it turned out that they had um, routed them through other countries like Italy. Mm. Mamma mia. Here, Here we, we go, go again. again. My, my. <laughs> uh, well, I guess we can't do movies unwatched then. Well, I'd, I'd like to w- actually watch the movies. Like, Wait, that'd be more fun. What movies? Whatever, oh, I was thinking of Mamma Mia. About. You were thinking of the song. Oh, I was thinking of the musical. Oh, yes. Which not, it became a movie. It did become a movie, but I choose not to recognize its existence. The movie's existence? Yes. Did you see the musical? Yes. Did you read the erotic fan fiction? <laughs> I'm not sure that one needs an erotic fan fiction. It is about a woman who can't tell who her daughter's father is. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. And then she decides, I'll have all of them be my father. Hooray. It's a happy ending, Chris. Happier than having your only son go off to become a monk and participate in the destruction of your ancient culture or whatever. That's true. That's very pessimistic. Yeah. I'm not sure that becoming a monk is actually participating in the destruction of Chinese culture, but, you know. Depending on the viewpoint of the person writing, yeah. yeah I guess so. Also, I wouldn't expect a monk to, somebody to become a monk at the end of, like, an erotic fan fiction of Water Margin. Well, I don't think the, the, the son who became the monk was really involved in the whole erotic stuff. Uh, it, it. Was, it was his father. It was basically the story of, you know, uh, well-to-do... You know, young person getting, wasting his life in like simple pleasures and vices. And then that just, you know, destroying society. A lesson we can all learn from today. Don't put plums in golden vases. Thank you for watching China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Chong. And I'm Matt Ganeshda. We'll talk to you next time.